You're listening to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, christianhumanist.org. Before They Were Live, an ongoing and monthly conversation where we are visiting our way through the Disney animated canon, past, present, and yet to come, playing our part in a healthy ecosystem between art and criticism and fandom, ever soliciting for even a halfpenny's worth of awe, wonder, and understanding of how these films shape our imagination. Hopefully, along the way, we enrich the viewing experience and have some fun, too. Today, we're having our first ever Before They Were Live Christmas special. Normally, our deuterocanonical episodes arrive at the end of a decade, but we cheated a bit this time and are doing our end of the 80s now because in 1983, Disney released Mickey's Christmas Carol, and it seemed appropriate to talk about it uh, during this season. So joining me as always, a man who is so overworked and underpaid, he leaves me no choice but to give him a raise and make him my partner, Michael Farmer. How's it going, Josh? Going well. Yeah, Merry Christmas. Yeah, Merry Christmas to you. Bah humbug. I don't know which one I'm supposed to say. <laughs> Wait, um, are you? So you're you're Scrooge in this. So you should be saying bah humbug, and I should be saying yeah, Merry that's Christmas. Right. Yes, bah humbug. Yeah, bah humbug to you. <laughs> <laughs> so this was a fun one. Um, I suggested this to you uh, because I, I knew it was the right season for it and the right time frame for where we are in our watching through the movies but when i suggested it in my head it was much longer i think because it's always packaged with other stuff like it's always packaged with other christmasy goodies and so watching it as a kid it was longer and so um this will probably be a a shorter episode but we may be able to stretch it out quite a bit that's our christmas present to the listener they don't have to listen to us (laughs) for an hour and a half this month because they're forced to other months that's right some sort of some sort of scheme we've con- concocted that that forced people to listen to us. Can we agree that this movie should have been a full length movie? That it loses quite a bit by being so compact. Yeah, I think it could have it could have um, it could have done with it. I, it's hard to say with those things, right? Because so many times we've we've kind of talked about how like uh, oh there is you know they could have just tightened this up and it would have been really good. <laughs> You know, yeah. So it's weird to be on the opposite side of it where it's like, oh, this is so good. And actually, it, it does. It moves very fast. It is a very fast uh, moving film from uh, from the the. Uh, yeah, just the whole way through. I feel like it, where it really speeds up is like once you get to um, the giant and mm-hmm. uh, ghost, of, say that. ghost of Christmas present. Yeah, it's just it's like over already. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's just ding, 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 ding. And you're done. So. It goes directly yeah, into it, Ghost of Christmas Future. And, and that sequence is so uh, shortened from most other adaptations of the Christmas Carol. Mm hmm. Yeah. So it is. 
Yeah, it's really it's a, it it could do with some some lengthening, I think. Apparently it's based on a um a a, a record that Disney put out in 76 or something. Um what is this called? I pulled it up earlier. The Disney an an adaptation of Dickens' Christmas Carol performed by the Walt Disney Players came out in 1974. And that's a little bit different from the uh finished cartoon, is that correct? Yeah, I believe so. I don't know. Have you heard it? Have I have you listened not. to it. In fact, I didn't know until last night that it existed at all. Yeah, I'm sure it's available on YouTube, like most most uh, out of print Disney things are. Oh, probably. I didn't even take the time to look that up. What I thought was interesting was, um, so the Ghost of Christmas uh, Present is, or sorry, the Ghost of Christmas Past is played by Merlin instead of Jiminy Cricket. Oh, that's your favorite. Interesting. Yeah. Actually, that is, I think I said on the uh, Sword in the Stone episode that Merlin is, that's my favorite version of Merlin, so I, I would be interested to see that. But then, The Ghost of Christmas uh, Future is played by the witch from Snow White. Oh, huh. Oh. I think Pete works yeah. better just in the in the milieu of this movie. Yeah. So this movie pulls in a lot of, a lot of characters um, from, like... Kind of surprising, I think, the ones that they chose <laughs> to put in there. But also, I feel like it was a good choice. It makes it feel um, like a family family get together in a way. I think by, I think it's fairly well these. cast, as it were. Yeah. So, yeah, I think I, I agree with you that Pete works really well because he's a you know traditional Mickey bad guy. Although Mickey is really not, uh, he's hardly in this. <laughs> yeah, it's really Scrooge McDuck's Christmas Carol. Yeah, it is. But the the film was conceived as a way to bring Mickey back to public consciousness, right? Because the shorts had long since stopped by 1983. And I think the Disney Corporation was concerned that young people no longer knew who Mickey Mouse was. And so this was going to be the way that they uh, reminded everybody of how much we love Mickey Mouse to the degree we do love Mickey Mouse. Uh, but he has a not a bit part exactly, but certainly a secondary part. Yeah. It's really interesting. This is his first uh, theatrical release in 30 years, I think, over 30 years at the time Since Fun this and comes Fancy out. Free, right? Yeah, it's got to be. Uh, or there was a short, I think. There was a short in there somewhere oh, that, right, that right, he right. was in. Yeah, I, yeah, I always basic... forget the shorts are also theatrical releases. Yeah. But, Mickey's Christmas Carol played yeah, basic... in front of a re-release of Fox and the Hound, is that right? Or The Rescuers? It's it's one of those the Rescuers. late... Okay. Yeah, it's a late 70s yeah. reissue. They used to put them out in theaters every six years. And this aired before one of those. And and it was um, it was a big enough deal that Siskel and Ebert reviewed it, uh, when it when it came out. And both of them gave it a thumbs down. Yeah, they didn't like it at all. Which is it's strange to me. I think it's really charming. Uh, it's not bad. Uh, it's it. I don't think it's going to go down in history as one of the greatest of the Disney properties, but it it's it's charming. I think is probably the right word to use for it. Yeah. There's a lot of so. fan service in this movie. There's there's a lot of like callbacks to previous movies, not just in terms of the characters they use, but as an example, uh, the Ghost of Christmas Present, played by the giant from Fun and Fancy Free, can't pronounce pistachio. And, and yeah. I felt like that was kind of shoehorned in there. And I, I will admit that I am allergic to fan service. So I was kind of annoyed by some of those callbacks. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I hear you. I thought I, like I said, I felt like it was more like the family get together than mm-hmm. the, than fan service, but I, I could see how it goes either way. 
I think Scrooge falls into his pocket at one point, which is, you know, the same thing as, Mick, you know, Mickey falling into his pocket. And I was waiting for the snuff fun. gag. Yeah. <laughs> but I think maybe yeah, by 1983, uh, tobacco gags weren't as appropriate as they were in the 1940s. Yeah, probably not. Dare had started by then, probably. I don't know. I don't know what year Dare started. I don't either. Yeah. But there's a couple other ones in there. Um, the the fan service type things. I'm trying to remember what they are now. There's not there's not much in this movie. Yeah, <laughs> like it it's 24 really quick, minutes but... long. I mean, yeah. But I also thought it was probably uh, on the practical side of a a quick way to make the movie cheaper. Like you don't have to go through the character development process. The characters have already been developed, and right, so you right. Just... The story is so familiar to everyone. So you've got the story, you've got the characters, and so that's a way to. To make things, I mean, I don't, I don't know where the the studio's money budget wise was at this time, but I, I just it couldn't have been that, great uh, looking at the features that are coming out in the early 1980s. Yeah, you know, I mean, they must have mm-hmm. been dumping all of their money into the Black Cauldron, which came out a couple of years after this, and I think we remember what happened there. That's right. Lots of big names on this one, though. On the, uh, on the. Uh, like on the directing side, it was directed by Bernie Madison, who's the – I think this is cool. He is the uh, longest-serving employee at the Walt Disney Company. He still works there, oh, wow. according to Wikipedia. Yeah, he's been there since 1953. Oh, my so, gosh. So he, he must be yeah. very old. Yeah, well, he – well, he's 84. He started there as, a, as like a teenager, I guess, when he was like 17 or 18 or something. So That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, that's I think that's really cool. But then um yeah, some of the some of the people who worked on it who went on to do other big animation stuff. Well, John Lasseter is the biggest one, but then uh Glenn Keane, Mark Henn, Dale Bear, Randy Cartwright, they're they're all big enough to have their own Wikipedia pages. <laughs> Lasseter's the there only the... one of those I recognized, I have to say. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't know. I didn't know them by name. I clicked on all the links just to see who they were. But so is this Lasseter's first uh, movie that he worked on for Disney? Oh, that's a good question. I bet it's it's got to be one of his first at least. Let me look at his filmography right now. Oh, he worked on The Fox and the Hound. Okay, the first I didn't notice were. him there. So this is a, yeah, this is a couple years later. Lasseter, so, as I'm sure our listeners know, would go on to found um, Toy Story, and he directed uh, Cars, and he directed Toy uh, Toy Story. Did I say he founded Toy Story? He founded Pixar <laughs> and directed uh, Toy Story and Cars. Yeah. And then he moved back over to Disney. Um, and he's yeah. actually the and, kind of person, and, you know, he got Me too a couple years ago, and I, I hope everybody knows that we're not promoting whatever it was he did to get Me too But um, just in terms of his relationship to the company, he's the sort of person you want rising in the ranks in Disney because he actually started, I believe, as a tour guide on the Jungle Cruise at Disneyland and made his way up to the head of animation there, which is pretty cool. Like that's a that's a person with a a real history with the company on the ground level. Right. Regardless that's of the, whatever his personal failings were. Yeah. That's the Mickey Mouse uh make a wish come true story if <laughs> you know, like he lived it, you know, in a lot of ways. Yeah, he I think of all the of all the people associated with the management at Disney, he's he's probably the been the one who's closest in terms of personality and trajectory to Walt himself. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I would say that's true. So. So yeah. Anyway, that's kind of the background for the the movie, at least as much as I know about it. Do you know anything else about it? Nope. That's what uh, that's what I know. And I, I don't know if they uh, wanted to make it a full length movie and decided not to. If there were ever plans to have a full length, but I think there probably certainly should have been. Probably certainly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think because it was an adaptation of that record, it, it probably a lot of it was just you know, uh, based on that. Like the length of that, I don't know how long that was, but it couldn't have been more than forty-five minutes. Yeah, so it'd be well, but that's that's twice the length of this. That's so. true. Yep. <laughs> I guess they could, they had a lot more that they potentially could have done there. Well, I mean, so. obviously, most adaptations of a Christmas Carol are are full length, so it's not it's not as if the material wouldn't support it. Uh, I mean, there there's probably ten to fifteen Christmas Carol movies, and then. A whole host of it, it's one of the standard sitcom uh, Christmas episode plots with along with uh, it's a wonderful life. So I mean there are mm-hmm. shorter ones as well, and and in part you can do the shorter ones because everybody already knows the story, so it, you, you're you're allowed to compress it in a way that goes quickly. But I think this one in particular would have been served. You could have got more characters in. You could have uh, developed things a little bit more. And and also, while some of the dialogue in this movie comes directly from A Christmas Carol, that thing about being boiled alive in his own pudding is straight from The Christmas Carol. It leaves out, I think, some of the funniest lines from the from the book. So he doesn't he doesn't say you can understand why not because this is a children's cartoon. He doesn't say that the poor people should be allowed to die to decrease the surplus population. He doesn't. Uh, he doesn't say to the ghost of Marley that there's more of gravy than of grave in you. There's not the scene where he asks the boy on the street what day it is, and the boy says it's Christmas Day. So I mean, these are some of the most famous and uh, again kind of funny lines from the book, and they don't make it in here. And uh, I think that's kind of a shame. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Speaking of uh, the Christmas Carol and also the, the the many TV special adaptations, I went back deep in the archives of uh, Christian Humanist Podcast and saw that you guys did an episode on the Christmas Carol. Wait, I, I don't even know. It was episode 63, I think. It was our second or, or third Christmas episode. Yeah, um, so it's way back there. You guys even, I listened to it. You guys had, oh, oh sorry, it's 67. I have it here now in front of me. 67 it was a Christmas Carol. Um you guys had a different intro back then. That's how long ago it was. And then um, episode 93, another different intro. So, like, you guys have changed intros a couple times. Well, we um, used to, for a while, I was doing a different song for every episode of that show. Well, it's and, not the, Oh, you're talking about the actual uh, spoken intro. We used to change yeah, that every spoken, year. Yeah. Then we got so. lazy. Yeah. <laughs> or more more refined or something yeah episode 93 you did christmas specials and, and you guys talked about you you talked through several of those uh sitcoms that mm-hmm. that have adapted the christmas girl well it's worth it's worth noting that the first televised christmas special like cartoon special was mr magoo's christmas carol so this really is a venerable property uh for um for christmas episodes as it were mm-hmm yeah, our old friends uh, Stephen Sandridge and Tim Rhodes were on that Christmas special episode. I think maybe that we'll rerun that this Christmas uh, on on the the feed of the main show if anybody wants to hear it. 
Yeah, it's a good one. I like, like I said, I listen, I listened to it in in prep for this. So. I remember it's a very, to record. Yeah, there's very little information online on about this movie. Strangely, because I I've, I think it's like one of the classics. And actually, like in some some of the lists, it's you know it's listed as like one of the top five classics or whatever. But then it's there's only a paragraph blurb about it, you know. Huh. So. You, I don't think yeah. of this as one of the top five, like top five Disney movies or top five adaptations of A Christmas Carol. So AV Club, their essential Christmas specials are A Charlie Brown Christmas at number one, How the Grinch Stole Christmas at number two, Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas at number three, which I've never seen, Santa Claus is Coming to Town at number four, and Mickey's Christmas Carol at number five. That seems insane to me. <laughs> To me, the best the best like half hour Christmas special is the Muppet Family Christmas, which I guess is an hour, but it's not feature length. And unfortunately, the the music rights on that have made it difficult to find. But I think the whole thing's on YouTube. If nobody's seen that, like that's a that's an exemplary uh, Christmas special, and it brings in all the three major Muppet properties. So it has the Muppets, mm-hmm. Sesame Street, and Fraggle Rock. If you haven't seen that, you must go see it. I think I must talk about it on. Uh, on that Christmas specials episode, along with the uh, claymation yeah. Christmas, which is the other one I love. Right. You do. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I 100% agree with you. It is, that is also my very favorite is, is that one. Um, the Muppet Christmas special. It's just so good. And, and so uh, joyful. Yeah. But I think that's some of the, the feel in this. I mean, it's not to the same level at all. Like that, that movie is on its own level, but like having the three little pigs in here and, uh, Lady Cluck and uh, Mr. Toad and whatever the horse is, Clyde or whatever his, his name, name is, is, you know, so- like, Cyril. Cyril, yeah, that's right, Cyril. Like I don't know, you bring you, you kind of bring all like it's it's that bringing the different properties together sort of mm-hmm. feel like that that I enjoy on this one too. Yeah, it's but definitely I agree. Uh, it's definitely fun to see those lesser uh, lesser known disney properties brought back for this especially the mr toad characters although were you disturbed yeah. by moly speaking <laughs> that's right because he doesn't talk in the other one does he no yeah, i forgot he does talk in the book so it's not like canonically moly can't talk but he does not talk in the yeah. in mr toad yeah i have no idea if this is the reason why they use those because at first i was like why are these characters i mean they're super cute and they they fit into they fit in just fine but um I wonder if it's because, like the 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 toad. This is probably a, a stretch, but the toad is paired with uh, the Sleepy Hollow, and then Sleepy Hollow is at like the same time period as this, right? Uh, like in the writing, like uh, it's about and... fifty years earlier. But Wind in the Willows is about thirty years later. So I, I think I oh, think okay. the Mr. Toad characters fit in just because of that. They're Edwardian instead of Victorian. Hmm. Yeah, splits the difference, I guess. I, maybe it's just that they're British, and and I mean that's why they had uh, Lady Cluck, and most of the side characters from Robin Hood are also in here. All the the yeah. rabbit and the turtle. Yeah, that yeah that could be right. But they're the right ones. I mean the Mister the Mister Toad characters uh, are so that that's such a joyful short in its way even though its joy turns to menace pretty quickly and robin hood mm-hmm. i think i think most people will agree is is among the most joyful of the disney movies so it makes sense that they're all in the fezziwig scene which is uh you know in christmas carol lore the the place where scrooge was happiest hmm. yeah that's right 
she's standing on the mistletoe with her with her lips puckered and or she says i'm standing on the mistletoe and he says you're also standing on my foot so <laughs> pretty good line you know some people are disturbed that daisy duck is apparently dating donald's uncle yeah while the nephews are also decorating the christmas tree <laughs> yeah uh, don't think about it too hard <laughs> yeah actually fun bit of uh trivia on that one is that in in finland on the subtitles they don't lift like when the characters are talking they don't say like scrooge that well i guess scrooge is a bad example because it's the same name either way right but they don't say um uh sorry like they wouldn't say cratchit they would say mickey mouse on the subtitles yeah and so actually the daisy duck character is listed i lost it now but she's listed as the um as the the secret love of of uh scrooge that's that's her name secret love no 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 like oh sorry it's a goldie goldie guilt sorry i found i had to scroll to the right place so in the finnish language dub this is from disneyfandom.com so it's a really reliable source in the finnish language (laughs) dub the characters are referred to as the disney characters portraying their roles rather than the christmas carol characters they're portraying a notable result of this change is that daisy's character isabel is instead identified as goldie guilt scrooge's or sorry yeah guilt is that guilt i guess g-i-l-t yeah uh saying it out loud made it sound like g-u-i-l-t sorry um goldie old guilt scrooge's secret sweetheart introduces introduced in carl barks's uncle scrooge comic story back to the klondike so it's not daisy at all it's not daisy at all well it is daisy in like every other adaptation i mean she's she's credited as daisy in the other adaptations Ah, but in the in Finland wanted to get it right, which goes back to like <laughs> people in uh, Northern Europe loving Karl Barks. Yeah, and they love they love Donald Duck. It. Yeah, so they're gonna they're gonna get it right. So she's Goldie O'Gilt. Probably the rest of us. I mean, I'd never heard of Goldie O'Gilt, um, so pr- probably nobody outside of Scandinavia would have recognized the name and would have just been confused. Yeah. Did you ever read those Carl Barks comics? They're supposed to be great. Um, I have one volume, and I'd like to get more, but I, they're kind of expensive, and so, yeah, maybe for maybe for Christmas I'll buy myself another. I, <laughs> another I know we were both big copy. Ducktales fans growing up, and I know, mm-hmm. I mean, not to spoil it, but at the end of the '90s, we'll be watching the Ducktales feature-length film *Treasure of the Lost Lamp*. Um. It, it might surprise listeners to know this is only the second film appearance of Scrooge McDuck. He was in, um, I think it was called Scrooge McDuck and the Love of Money or something in the 70s. But he was not an established character in film uh, at this point. Uh, he was established in the comics. They didn't create him for this film. Um, and, and it certainly worked out well that that his name is Scrooge McDuck and he's cheap. But um, he... Uh, He's still pretty new to animation at this point. Yeah. And Alan Young, who's voicing him, is also pretty new to, I mean, for the same reason, is pretty new to voicing him. <laughs> right, right. Although not, yeah, not to I voice think... work, because Alan Young was a radio actor in the 30s right. and 40s. Yeah. And he voiced him for, gosh, 40 years. I mean, he just died a few years ago. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of amazing, all those uh, voice actors who, like, they just keep doing it forever. 
We could we should mention a couple of those too, as long as I mean <laughs> we spend a long time here on the background of this movie before jumping into the actual movie. But um, uh, the the guy who does Donald Duck is Clarence um, Nash. Yeah, and so this is one one of his last appearances as Donald Duck, but he's the last original like guy in these. Like all the all the other characters are are voiced by different people because their original voice people passed on at this point and but. i think this might be the first appearance of wayne allwine as mickey mouse i could be wrong about that it's definitely wayne allwine but i don't think he voiced him before this i could be wrong i guess he might have on tv yeah maybe so. say here. i don't i don't know what what kind of tv presence mickey mouse had though right because this is um the whole purpose of this movie is to bring mickey mouse back to public consciousness that's true I, so I, yeah i don't know and that's a funny thing too why is that you know I mean, just I, I feel like that's the story of Mickey Mouse. You know, like he, like, um, I mean, we talked about that clear back with Fantasia. You know, <laughs> like he was he was this character in the shorts, but then he was losing his popularity, and so they needed to revitalize him, and so they put him in Fantasia, and then, you know, uh, now they need to revitalize him again here in the '80s, and then I feel like uh, he went through another revitalization in the. Um, Early early two thousands or late nineties. That like, the, the kind of like, alternative it, Mickey Mouse. Yeah, so it just seems like he's he's kind of constantly going through the like he's the he's the most popular character in the world, <laughs> you know, like most identifiable, like like as an icon. More identifiable than is, Jesus Christ. Yeah, but is constantly going through um, these like the need to to reintroduce him or bring him back or whatever like it's just it's kind of funny to me and to me and maybe maybe this is a stupid thing to say but i don't think he's a very interesting character the the fact that in a in a movie called mickey's christmas carol he gets shunted off to the side demonstrates i think the kind of vanilla blandness of mickey mouse but Mm -hmm. kids seem to love him because my nieces just went to disney world they got they went over thanksgiving break and when they got back, I asked my three-year-old niece who her favorite character she met was, because, you know, they went to all these character dinners and met everybody. And she said, Mickey Mouse. And that's so that's so interesting to me. And maybe I was like that when I was a kid, too. But, like, what is what is there to recommend Mickey Mouse? <laughs> As opposed to Donald or Goofy or, I mean, really any of the other major characters, other than Minnie, who is even more boring than he is to me. Right. It's his roundness. I'll, mm-hmm. I'll give you a quote because um, so I was I I have a the Mickey Mouse reader and I was looking for it uh, I was looking for something about the Christmas Carol because like I said there's not very much on it and uh, so I, I went back to the Mickey Mouse reader to see if there was anything in there uh, and there's not I did find this quote from John Hench who was the vice president of W E D which is the Disney Corporation, which manages Disneyland and Disney World. I think that's – I don't remember what WED stands for. But anyway – Walter Elias Disney. Oh, is that it? Okay. Yeah. Good job. So he says, I'm going to oversimplify this, but circles never cause anybody any trouble. We have had bad experiences with sharp points, with angles, but circles are things we have fun with. Babies, women's behinds, breasts. So <laughs> that's his theory on what makes Mickey so appealing, even though, uh, as you said, I think as you said, um, 
he's overall a, a pretty bland character. Uh, it's funny to me that Hinch thinks that babies, women's behinds, and breasts never caused anybody any trouble, because I, I think in some <laughs> readings of history, they're behind a lot of trouble. But hey, what are you going to do? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's interesting when you look at adaptations of A Christmas Carol um, based on existing properties, you either get the main character playing Scrooge, as Mr. Magoo does in Mr. Magoo's Christmas Carol, or you get the main character playing Bob Cratchit as uh, as they do here and they do in Muppet Christmas Carol, which is so much better than this that I think this one suffers unduly in comparison to it. So it, it's interesting. You can kind of tell how bland your lead character is by whether or not um, whether or not they play Bob Cratchit. Yeah. Is it Kermit in... Muppet Christmas Carol, yeah, and, and yeah. because Kermit is a is a generally more interesting character than Mickey, he's I think he does a better job. Also, they have to kind of uh, defang Kermit a little bit. He's less interesting in A Christmas Carol than he is normally because I, I think he has a lot more personality than Mickey does. Yeah, yeah, Mickey seems to just kind of play off of the the characters around him. Yeah, he's the straight man, which I guess there's something to be said for that. But I, I you know, I've just never found him. We, I'm sure we talked about this in Fun and Fancy Free. I, I, I've just never found him all that interesting of a character. Yeah, I think they, um, yeah, I think the the original shorts maybe had a little more of an edge to him. But I, I think we did talk about that in Fun and Fancy Free, that over time, those well, <laughs> the edges became rounder, I guess. You yeah. Know? Like, yeah, he just became an all all around round character, and then, uh, yeah, and so, and so that leads to that. I think that blandness leads to him kind of falling off the map a little bit, and then having to be revitalized, as as you said, that he's you know this this movie was partially that revitalizing him. Well, and it, it does make him the right choice to play Cratchit, who himself is not a terribly interesting character. Cratchit's job in A Christmas Carol is to suffer nobly. And so the person who ends up playing him can't have too much personality or else he can no longer be Bob Cratchit. Yeah. Bland on bland, I guess. <laughs> it doesn't maybe speak so well for revitalizing him as a character, though. Although I think with Mickey, maybe all you need is just to get him in front of people. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I mean, because people, I guess people like him. I've never really liked him. Maybe I did when I was a kid, but uh, to to me, he's he's just kind of there. He's so much less interesting than uh, Donald or Goofy or Scrooge or really anybody. <laughs> there, there are very few, <laughs> there, there are no major characters in Disney who are as uninteresting to me as Mickey Mouse is. But, you know, at least they didn't try to make him Scrooge in this. I think that would have been a disaster. He's in the he's That's... in the he's in the place he needs to be in terms of the Christmas Carol mythos. Right. That's hard to imagine him as Scrooge. That's that's kind of a funny funny uh take. <laughs> Fortunately, they have um they have a ready-made Scrooge. That's right. Yeah, he's already Scrooge. What did you think of Jiminy Cricket as the ghost of Christmas past? Uh, so we got another uh, fan callback here where he bounces in and we get the, the first person view, which I think they did in both Fun and Fancy Free and in Pinocchio. Mm-hmm. Um, and he also has the medal, which that that's given to him by the the blue fairy at the end of Pinocchio, right? He yeah, gets the conscious meadow. Except this Although time, here this it, time says, it says Ghost of Christmas Past. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. So 
yeah, all that fan service stuff works for me. Um, yeah, but what did you think? Yeah, he, he's the right choice for that character, and you because of him you get the great line where Scrooge says, uh, "I thought you'd be taller," and he said, "If if height was kindness, you'd be no bigger than a speck of dust." But I thought <laughs> that the whatever voice actor it is playing Jiminy Cricket didn't do a very good job impersonating Cliff Edwards. And it ends up being kind of um, off-putting because of that. Now, the, the truth is that most people uh, watching this when it first came out wouldn't have had easy access to the to Pinocchio. I don't think home video had really become a thing yet in 1983. And so most people at the time probably didn't even notice it. But uh, nowadays, you know, I can go watch Pinocchio whenever I want. And I, I was kind of put off by the differences between this actor and Cliff Edwards. Yeah. Yeah, Cliff Effort Edwards has such like I uh I don't know, it's such a distinctive voice, I guess. So I did wonder, actually, so this is a callback on our own episodes. <laughs> so on Dumbo, uh your wife was on with us as a special guest and uh she mentioned something about did she feel like um the when the mouse is waking up the the uh, uh, what the circus, the ringleader, if, if that was like a, a callback to Jiminy Cricket. And I, at the time I was like, I can't think of a scene where Jiminy Cricket is doing that. But I was wondering if she actually had this moment in her head and not Pinocchio in her head. Yeah, she may she have. That. Cause I know, I know she watched this movie when she was a kid, but I don't know that she watched Pinocchio with me. So she, she this was probably more uh, on her mind than that. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, but Yeah. Anyway, that's a deep cut for listeners yeah. who have stuck with us for a long time. <laughs> Do you regularly listen to our old episodes? Um, I don't. I don't know why that just it popped into my head as I was watching it. I was, I was like, because he's next to the clock, and I don't know, just something somehow in my head, it like you know, it's it's it, it came back to me. But. Sure. Um. Yeah. So anyway. Uh, yeah, it it is fun that he's so small because he uh, when he carries Scrooge out. Um, well, first you get the gag of hold on tight, and he's you know he squeezes him, and then uh, Scrooge Scrooge is afraid, and so he jumps up. Basically, like he's just I don't know how to describe it. Like you, it's the the visual image, you know. He's he's on top of his own hand um, because he's afraid, and he's shivering up there. It's, it's just kind of a funny sight gag. Well, it makes a nice contrast with. Willie the Giant playing the Ghost of Christmas Present. Yeah, because they're so different in size. Yeah. Well, and the Ghost of Christmas Present is always this, hmm, how to put it, this kind of pagan fertility god. Mm -hmm. And and so I think the the giant, with the vast quantities of food he consumes and fun and fancy free, works really well as, as the Ghost of Christmas Present. Yeah, I, the gag I really like in here is the uh, uh, using the the street light as a as a flashlight. Uh huh. Yeah, <laughs> I thought that was well done. Yeah. <laughs> Anachronistically, I don't think. Yeah, because I don't know what's in. Yeah, definitely not. <laughs> Somebody saw Willie the Giant, and that was their that they were inspired to to create it. That's, you wonder how they come work. up with gags like that. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's really amazing. Because it's clicks it's, it on and off in the it, space. <laughs> it doesn't further the plot. 
so it's not like it was necessary. It wasn't part of the puzzle piece of putting together a script. It just like somebody thought that would be funny and put it in, and you know, you laugh at it for a second and then forget about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The other one that I caught on this on this viewing was that uh, when he steps out of Scrooge's house, he like um, like catches his foot on the the lip of the roof, and the roof kind of wob- or the the wall kind of wobbles like it's made out of rubber or something, uh-huh. and then snaps back into place. This is kind of yeah, just fun little fun little things like that. Well, there's that's another callback to Fun and Fancy Free, right? Because um, cause at the end of that movie, he's going and looking for Mickey, and he pulls off the roof of all the houses. Isn't there? Am I making it up that a woman screams here too, as as she does? Yeah, in Fun I think and Fancy that's Free? yeah, I think that happens in both. As he he peeks in the wrong house and a woman screams. I think that's the Fun and Fancy Free gag, which is a funny gag in Fun and Fancy Free. But again, I the the, the fan service aspect of this kind of annoys me. Although, uh, you know, w- once again. Um, people wouldn't have had easy access to those movies, so it probably was not as irksome to the original audience as it was to me. Plus, most people, I think, like fan service. Yeah. Were you at all disturbed by the uh, the amount of um, like uh, there's a turkey, there's a there's a roast turkey that that um, Scrooge pulls the leg off of. <laughs> And there's also a giant pig. But meanwhile, outside, the there's, you know, pigs running around. <laughs> and um, Scrooge is a duck. <laughs> right, right. And, one, and canonically, <laughs> at least one of Donald's cousins is a goose. And yet they're having roast yeah. goose for Christmas dinner. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and the yeah, the goose that was supposed to be a roast goose in uh, Aristocats, he's also in the, he's he's dancing around. Uncle, what's his name? Fezziwig. Uh, Uncle, uh, no, no. Fezziwig is the is um the toad. He's um Uncle Waldo. Uncle Waldo. <laughs> oh, right, right, right. Yeah. Who who knows? You have to just kind of ignore that stuff. I know. <laughs> this yeah. is this is the problem with all these talking animal fables. It's true. Yeah. Yeah, either so. either they're eating things they shouldn't be eating or they're not eating things they should be eating. Like the owl in Fox and the Hound ought to be eating oh, the yeah, baby that's fox. Right. Yes, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, this would have been a very I mean, can't overthink movie. it. Yeah, it's just I don't know. There's something, something funny to me about it. Well, the time has come for us to discuss Tiny Tim. Oh who, yeah, who's your part favorite of the ghost of Christmas presents uh, <laughs> uh, presentation, and I, I'm on record as hating Tiny Tim the Noble Cripple. <laughs> You know, we used That's to right. at, at my the college I worked at. We used to do door decorations for Christmas, and there would be a contest, and uh, I would always do something macabre. And one year, I had a snowy hillside, a single grave with a, uh, a crutch <laughs> leaning against it, and it said "R.I.P. Tiny Tim." <laughs> so pretty proud of that. You are awful. <laughs> yeah, well, Tiny Tim is awful. <laughs> He's the the original disability porn. Um, he's not so bad here, in part because they skip by him very quickly. He's mm-hmm. he's scarcely in the movie. He 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 mm-hmm. you know he says God bless us everyone as Tiny Tim always does, and Mickey mourns his death. But other than that, there's only the one scene with him, and he doesn't even really have a crutch in that scene. So, uh, in terms of portrayals yeah. of Tiny Tim, this one's fairly inoffensive. 
Yeah, he hobbles in. He is cute though, and you don't like the cute characters either. So no, I tend not <laughs> there's to. A double, there's a double whammy against him. Well, and his cuteness <laughs> is just being a tiny Mickey Mouse. So that's that's three strikes and you're out for Tiny Tim for me. I'm afraid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's a very Dickensian character, right? I mean, it's the again, it's the noble poor, and I, I just I I can't do Tiny Tim. Yeah. What's the thought behind that for Dickens? I don't. I, can you expound on that a little bit? Like why, why he's why he has the noble poor? Like what he's trying to do with that? Yeah, I mean, Dickens is is always writing with a political purpose in mind, and he's trying to reform Victorian society. Reforms that largely needed to happen, right? Victorian society was not a great place to be poor, uh, just because there were no laws protecting workers. I think you clearly see that with uh, Scrooge making Bob Cratchit work. He wants to make him work on Christmas Day, but he does dock his pay for working, um, for for getting the day off, you, you know. And if you look, Cratchit, God knows what time he comes in, but he doesn't get off work until 7 p.m. on Christmas Eve. And and that's because there weren't protections for workers. There, weren't, there wasn't a 40-hour work week until the unions came along and demanded it. And so... Dickens in his novels exposes a lot of these abuses. I, those novels are not primarily or exclusively political, but there's always a political purpose. And and part of that is making the the misery of the poor um apparent and part of it is making the poor look like they don't deserve that misery, which of course I I don't think they do. Um but sometimes it gets away from Dickens. It's it's outside of his talent to control it as talented as he was and you end up with a character like tiny tim who uh who is just too much yeah and the kind of treacliness of him is in the original christmas carol i don't know if you've read the novella but i mean i have but it's been a long time that's that's not something introduced by the adaptations that's right out of dickens yeah. What's great about that, though, is um, like uh, at the beginning of this episode, you're talking about how this could have this could have uh, been a full length. But if it had been a full length, you know, there'd be a lot more Tiny Tim in that's it. That's true. So. That's true. That's one of the things that got cut. Like, and if you look at Muppet Christmas Carol, that's the least effective part of that movie is they, they have a long um, sequence in uh, Bob Cratchit's house during the Ghost of Christmas Present. And I, I think there's a song. I could be wrong. Yeah, I haven't I haven't watched that one yet this season, and I haven't actually watched it for a few years, so I can't remember. So, I know it's on Disney Plus, which I have not bought yet. Our listeners have been asking us if we're going to get Disney Plus, and uh, I, I don't know. I still don't know. Yeah, yeah. At this point, I'm not just because it it would be like I don't yeah I don't have time for extra extra viewing things. I don't need Baby Yoda in my life right now. <laughs> Yeah. Well, we spent um, Thanksgiving with uh, Wesley and Emily, and Wesley was on our Fox and the Hound episode, and Emily's going to be on our Little Mermaid episode. And they had it, and it looked pretty cool. Like, there's a lot of stuff on there, including the, all the Simpsons episodes, and we watched Home Alone, mm-hmm. um, both of which are Fox properties, but because Disney bought Fox, they get it all on there. But right. I, I still don't know. I have my issues with Disney as a corporation right now. So I... I I may just keep <laughs> buying the DVDs used. Yeah, my issues are not with Disney the corporation. It's just like, you know, spending. I mean, I do this already on with with other 
have access to everything for this low price a month you know like i'm sure the i'm sure the content is great but i'm also throwing my money away if i don't actually have time to access any of that content you know so that's true and i i just worry about streaming replacing physical media because of course if you have the dvd there's nothing the disney corporation can do to it but if you're watching it if you're streaming they could remove it at any moment they could um they could edit it at any moment as i believe the star wars films on disney plus have been edited once again by george lucas uh, i i don't know i uh i i'm starting to sour on the everything all of the time model of uh media consumption yeah i am too and in that way it's actually more in the uh um i don't know i'm just i wonder <laughs> i wonder if this is the right place to talk about this but i also wonder like what's it doing to us as people like when when mm-hmm. it's like everything on demand all the time like what's that do to our you know our ways of interacting with one another and our ways of uh of our ways of thinking our ways of desiring like all all these things i i, I am uh uh, I, I don't have full thoughts on it yet, and like I said, this probably isn't the right forum for them anyway. But um, eh. yeah, it's I a short movie, so we have more time. <laughs> it's true, <laughs> but yeah, I haven't I haven't thought through all this stuff yet. But I, I do, um, I do think it's concerning. So other than that, it looks amazing. Yeah, I, well, <laughs> well, it's something I noticed once uh, iTunes came along because you and I, I'm sure, growing up in the '90s. If we wanted a difficult to find record, we had to spend months looking for it. Mm-hmm. And and there's something about that um, that you do, just don't get when you can buy anything at a moment's notice, or nowadays not even buy it. You can just listen to every song ever recorded mm-hmm. for seven dollars a month or whatever. I don't stream music, um, so I, I know one can, but I don't because I think it cheapens the music. And I, I, I think. The same thing is probably true of these streaming services. So I don't know. Um, I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm very conflicted because on the one hand, it's nice to be able to access everything at any point, see movies you wouldn't otherwise see. But on the other hand, in some ways, it's become harder to see those movies uh, because a lot of the streaming services don't have um, a lot of movies. And uh, it used to be that you could go to a video store and rent them, and now you can't. So you would have to order the dvd online or whatever right i don't know i it's 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 a mixed blessing at best yeah but uh so so far listeners we don't neither one of us have purchased disney plus yeah we'll see we'll see how long we can hold out yeah i think there was an episode of the sectarian review about that video uh phenomenon where you know there was yeah yeah the stuff you see on netflix is all uh very what current um, biased. <laughs> I don't know what the right term for that is, you know. But like, it's hard to find old stuff, you know, because every, every and with the algorithms and stuff, like they they push, you know, something that came out in 2019 on you instead of something that came out in 79 or 59 or whatever, you know. So anyway, well, and increasingly they're they're pushing the original properties they develop for the streaming services. Mm-hmm. So it, it's come to the point where the only time you see older movies on the streaming services is when they they have a new uh, film by the director. So a lot of Scorsese stuff is available on Netflix right now because of the Irishman. Yeah. So I, I don't know, you know, there's, there's pluses and minuses to all of this, but in general, I think we consume too much media and the streaming services, um, allow us to do that. 
Yeah, I'm sure our listeners are extremely shocked by our views on this. <laughs> yeah, well, you know. <laughs> that we would dare to suggest that a, a corporation would somehow cheapen their own content and um, <laughs> that there's value in, like, <laughs> uh, the process and going back and looking at old stuff. Man, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, what are we uh, what are we leaving out about Mickey's Christmas Carol? Yeah, I think we've touched on most of it. Oh, I guess we didn't get to Ghost of Christmas Future. We didn't get the uh, the terrifying scene of him falling into his uh into the, into his own grave. Another thing that scared me when I was a kid. Um and here uh Mickey's Christmas Carol does depart from typical productions of Dickens in that the ghost of Christmas future is usually a kind of amoral creature mm-hmm. here uh, because it's Pete, he actively takes pleasure in Scrooge's eventual downfall. Whereas usually his job is just to point to it here. He, uh, he enjoys it, which I, you know, I don't know if that's more effective or less effective, but it is a change. Yeah. Well, it was, it was a question for my kids. They were like, "Why? Why is he so mean?" <laughs> I, like, I don't have Do a, your kids know who Pete is? I don't is. have an answer for you. Um, not really. They kind of do. Like vague. Like he's in. We have some like Disney picture books with like Donald and Mickey's uh-huh. adventures, and Pete's always the bad guy. But like, I can't yeah. think of another animated film that we've watched that he's. I guess we watched that terrible. Uh, Mickey and the Three Musketeers. One time, it was a direct-to-video type thing, and he's mm. he's the bad mus the bad musketeer in that. So, um, yeah. So, and yeah, he he's not in any of the feature films, as far as I know, until Goof Troop, a Goofy movie. Yeah. And and in in Goof Troop and a Goofy movie, I think he's just the kind of jerky neighbor rather than a yeah he's rather not... than a villain per se. Yeah. Yeah, you'd have to really go back to the old shorts, I think, to see him more in his villain role. Because he's in Steamboat Willie and stuff, isn't he? That's like the bad guy. Ish. Is he in Steamboat Willie? He's he's in a lot of those shorts as a bad guy. Yeah. I can't remember. I can't either. I was never. But he's big... he's the right choice for the Ghost of Christmas Future, even if he does change the personality of the character a little bit. I don't know who else you would get. Yeah. Who did you say is the Ghost of Christmas Future in the record? It's the uh, the the witch from Snow White. That's right. Maybe she's better, but I think I think she would take you out of this because she's so frightening. She she exists in a different world of terror than Pete does. Yeah, Queen Grimhilda in her witch form from <laughs> Snow White and the Seven Doors. That, that's her name canonically, Grimhilda. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> the title of her Wikipedia or Disney wiki page is the evil queen. So sure. Yeah. I actually think she'd be a better, uh, ghost of Christmas future in her queen form. Mm. That'd be interesting. But anyway, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? I think what somebody ought to do is make this movie with uh, Donald Duck in the role of Bob Cratchit, but like he just can't. He like he doesn't take any of it. <laughs> he just fights back. <laughs> just, I'm always in favor of more Donald Duck. He's he is my favorite of the uh, the kind of shorts characters, and I guess every, I mean everybody's favorite is either Donald Duck or Goofy, right? Yeah, I was always more of a Goofy guy, but 
Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. I relate to Donald Duck in his <laughs> impotent rage. Yeah. His, his insistence that the, uh, that daily life is trying to inconvenience and assault him personally. Yeah. That's kind of my, that's kind of my outlook on the world. <laughs> no wonder you don't like Bob Cratchit. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the polar opposite of that. Why, why doesn't he fight back? <laughs> yeah. Let's see. Is there anybody else we didn't talk about? I don't know. There's not many characters in this thing. Not many like characters that are more than cameos. Yeah. But I mean, even in most the... of them don't even have speaking roles. I don't think does Mickey or does Minnie talk in this? No, she doesn't. I guess there were some lines, but they got cut. Hmm. She recorded some, the actress recorded some lines for her. Yeah. So anyway, it's a heartwarming tale. I like it. Yeah, yeah, and it's short enough to where even if it's not great, and I don't, I don't know that it's great. It it goes by quickly, and there's there's enough funny lines and charming segments to to carry you along so if you haven't if somehow you haven't seen mickey's christmas carol uh search it out i watched it on the disney treasures mickey mouse and living color volume 2 dvd but that probably costs 150 bucks now if you didn't if you don't already own it so probably yeah. you'll have to watch it on disney plus <laughs> where did you watch it it's available on itunes it's like part of a package so it's a little pricey because ah. it's part of a package but actually it was it's not. It's less expensive than a feature, um, because it's packaged with, like, the the total package is up to like an hour in length or whatever. So, it's, what else is in there? Do they have like uh, the Brave Little Tailor and the um, Prince of the Popper? It's like the no. That would have been nice actually. It's so it's a couple other winter ones. So it's a couple Donald Duck shorts. Um, I can't remember which ones off the top of my head. And then do they have the one where Donald Duck is fighting with? chip and dale at christmas yeah i think so i think that's the one my kids, oh that is a wonderful yeah story. my kids loved that one they they are still talking about it so they're really excited about that they liked that better than mickey's christmas girl for sure i do too yeah maybe we should have just talked about that i guess we should have <laughs> yeah next time <laughs> next, yeah maybe next christmas. next christmas yeah we could do it like uh we could do it like the um like the old um, shorts before the movies things we could we could have a quick <laughs> quick discussion for us <laughs> that's impossible but we could have a quick discussion and then do the do the feature like discussion um <clears throat> yeah well, next month we have the last movie in the disney dark age which is oliver and company the first movie i remember seeing in a theater like period so i look forward to discussing it i am certain it's not as good as i remember it being yeah I uh, I'm looking forward to the, talking about that one too. Um, I liked it a lot as a kid. I watched it uh, maybe a year and a half ago now, and uh, was not as impressed. But you never know. You, like, sometimes when you watch things multiple times, um, you get different <laughs> different thoughts on it. You know, so maybe I'll really like another it. Dickens adaptation. It must be said, Oliver and Company is an adaptation of uh, Oliver Twist. Oh yeah, that's right. What a nice uh, that's. That's interesting and also just coincidental in the way that we <laughs> time these. No, things. you worked that out, right? When you suggested doing this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Actually, I completely, I didn't, yeah, I didn't put that together until you just mentioned it. I didn't either until just now. Yeah. Yeah. And listeners, if you are hoping for more of like the, uh, the, the, 
the the place that a Christmas Carol plays within our uh, Christmas canon, and uh, you know how it fits alongside the nativity and all that sort of stuff. There's a great discussion on episode 67 of uh, the Christian Humanist podcast, so you should go back and listen to that one. It was it was really good, and uh, David Grubbs uh, really lays it out well. So I thought I thought that was really nice. So I highly recommend. That's it. also the episode where I coined the term "noble cripple" uh, really spontaneously. Yeah. I did, I, did. I, I don't I don't I couldn't find anybody else saying that phrase and I really like it because it's a it's a definite type in uh, in Western fiction so that is good I didn't I didn't realize that that was your your coinage so well done I I, I think it is I could be wrong but I think I sh- surely somebody else has used it but it is not a typical term so maybe that's my legacy to this world <laughs> that and. Uh... Uh, I don't know. You have a lot of other things that you've done, Michael. So. Sure. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, I, the the thing I remember about that episode is that Nathan made me read Malthus uh, so that we could talk about that line about dying and decreasing the surplus population. Mm. So there's some good Christmas reading for you, Thomas <laughs> Malthus. Yeah. Well, Michael did it so you didn't have to. So you can you can just go and listen to it, and uh, you can you can get all that. All right. Well, it's, this has been fun, Michael. Thanks. Yeah, I've enjoyed it. So, as always, our press liaison is Kristen Philippic, and we are on the old interwebs at thechristianhumanist.org. Uh, please help us. Just continue. christianhumanist.org. Is that right? No, the. No, no christianhumanist.org. The, oh, sorry, christianhumanist.org. And uh, please help us continue this conversation by saying Merry Christmas or Bah Humbug to us on Twitter. I'm at the alt. Michael is at Kel Bummer. Did I get that right? All right. And we want to encourage you to set your podcast player's dials to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, uh, where you'll find an abundance of new and old shows to keep you going. I mentioned a few on here. You can find that old sectarian review, one about the uh, the videos or these uh, Christmas specials on Christian Humanist. So for Michael Farmer, I'm Josh altman I just want to say, to gratefully say, actually, no, never mind. Never mind the mushy stuff. Just go.